In this episode of 2000 Books, Stanford psychologist Dr. Lenora Yuan tells us about the three reasons why we procrastinate and three ways to beat procrastination. Well, hello, hello, my ambitious friends, and welcome to 2000 Books. Every Monday and Wednesday, we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs, books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, personal development, and much, much more. And I am your host, Manny Vaya. Dr. Lenora Yuan is a psychologist at Stanford University and operates her own psychotherapy practice. Today, we're talking about her book, Procrastination, Why You Do It and What to Do About It, now. Lenora, I'm really excited to talk about this topic because it's really close to my heart and I want to learn how to beat procrastination. So welcome. Hi, Manny. I'm so glad to be here with you. Thank you very much for taking the time from uh, you're right up the coast from us uh, in Palo Alto. I'm here in That's San Diego. Right. Uh, let's talk about the book. I'm in oh. the hub of entrepreneurship. Absolutely. It is the center of the universe when it comes to entrepreneurship right now. Um, so you're right there. Um, let's talk about the book. Let's talk about why ambitious entrepreneurs, ambitious people, and especially ambitious entrepreneurs need to read this book. Well, basically, I think just about everybody procrastinates on something. And especially in this day and age, you know, when the pace of life is going nonstop so fast, faster and faster and faster, it's just not possible to do everything. So something always gives and people have to are putting off more than they used to, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Now, the problem is that a lot of times we end up putting off the things that are most important for us to do, Mm -hmm. the things that we most want to do or the things that we most need to do. And so there can be real consequences in terms of the opportunities we might lose or the ways that we feel about ourselves when we don't follow through doing those things that are so important. So a book about procrastination is one way to help people grab hold of this behavior, which can feel so big and so self-defeating. It's a hard behavior because everybody offers all kinds of techniques, as do we. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things my colleague, Jane Burka, and I believe is that procrastination is like the tip of the iceberg. It's the final common pathway for people coming from many different directions and with many different things going on inside them. And it's really important to understand what's below the surface because it's actually really hard for procrastinators to use the techniques that will help them. Techniques only work if you use them. Mm -hmm. And if you put off using them, you might as well not have a technique. So we think that understanding why you're procrastinating, as well as having some specific actionable things you can do, is a really powerful combination uh, for tackling something that's really, really difficult. That's great. And it's it's really important to, as you said, to understand the underlying root cause of it rather than just try to go get some techniques because we won't use them if we don't address the root cause. And hopefully we'll get to that in the interview as we go. But before we do that, tell us your personal story, your career in this and what led you to writing the book and what you've been doing since then. Well, Jane and I, um, as this might not be a, a surprise to you at all, but Jane and I were both procrastinators. <laughs> Jane took 10 years to write her doctoral dissertation. I avoided all kinds of little things and felt horrible. And, you know, so we've lived procrastination from the inside out. And we met at UC Berkeley at the counseling center there. (laughs) We got to talking and... You know, the the counseling center was always trying to offer various kinds of groups for students with different kinds of problems, especially related to academics. And we thought, well, what about a group about focusing on procrastination? And, you know, from the get-go, it was one of the most popular groups on campus. We always had people who were like third quarter seniors saying, you have to let me in this group because I'm going to grad, I have to graduate, but I've got five incompletes and I'm desperate, (laughs) you know? So we always were oversubscribed and it really taught us a lot about the kinds of rhythms that 
people have when they start to work and they start to think about setting goals in a different way. Because we would see over and over again that people start off being really excited and really optimistic and they say, this time I'm going to do it differently. And then they see, you know, within four or five weeks, "Eh, I'm not really doing it so differently. And they get a little depressed. And then they start to look at what's going on under the surface. So again, you know, over time, you begin to see that procrastination is a multifaceted behavior. Mm-hmm. And grabbing hold of both the feelings as well as the behaviors is what helps you get through it. And I can happily say that Jane and I are now, I wouldn't say we're procrastination free, but we are no longer procrastination plagued. Mm -hmm. So I can definitely say that there is hope. It is possible not to have a life that's driven by procrastination. And what I think really is going to make be the crux of what makes a difference is not just learning techniques and not just having the things to do, but really developing a new relationship with yourself. Because a lot of times problematic procrastination that gets you into trouble and disappoints you over and over again is rooted in a shaky sense of Mm self-esteem. And if you can kind of look at yourself in a new way and understand yourself with some compassion, you actually begin to develop a a stronger sense of yourself and don't need to use procrastination to hide from the world. Great. And we're already getting into the details of the book. But before we do that, just tell quickly, tell our listeners quickly what you are doing right now or what your career is right now. Well, at the moment, I am in private practice in Palo Alto. My colleague, co-author Jane Burka is in private practice in Oakland. And you're a therapist? I'm a therapist. I see people for a whole range of life issues. And I'm on the clinical faculty at Stanford. So I work with uh, psychiatry residents who are in training. All right. Let me make the distinction. Are you guys psychiatrists as well and do therapy or are you psychotherapists? We are psychologists. Both Jane and I are PhD psychologists. We're not MDs. We do psychotherapy. We do not prescribe medications, but we both have been in practice for 40 years. (laughs) It's hard to say such a big number. (laughs) (laughs) No, that means that we have a lot to learn from you. And that's what we're going to do now for the next uh, whatever time we have. Uh, And let's get into the book now. Let's kind of unpack the book. And here at 2000 Books, we always want to get to three key ideas because we believe that's one way to keep our brains sane and to, you know, make it easy for us to absorb knowledge. So uh, let's talk about, like, you were probably building on it. You had just started talking about the idea of how self-esteem and procrastination are so tightly tied. So let's let's talk about the three key ideas. Start from the top. Okay. I think the first idea that I really want to stress, because I hear this all the time, the sense that procrastination is a moral failing, you know, that somehow because you procrastinate, it means you're a bad person, or you're lazy, or you're um, not motivated, or you don't try or, you know, something about yourself that is lacking. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that at all. Um, In fact, a lot of the procrastinators I see are the people who have really high standards for themselves and expect top-notch performance that get becomes too much of a pressure mm-hmm. and procrastination becomes a solution. So that's the first idea, that procrastination is not a moral failing. So then the next two ideas are, what's it about? Mm-hmm. So the second idea would be that I think emotionally procrastination is often about fear. Mm-hmm. It comes out of a sense that I'm really not okay as a person. And, you know, just as I am is not good enough. So the second idea is that fear is one of the other causes of procrastination and the shaky self-esteem. Yeah. The third idea is that there are people for whom biology is the primary issue. The way your brain works, mm-hmm. if you have AD. ADD mm-hmm. or executive function issues or depression or uh, things like that, certain forms of anxiety, your brain is working in a way that it's really important to look at realistically and work with as an ally. And that can help you also 
uh, handle your so so let's let's start from the top uh, i mean okay. we, we quickly we quickly went into the three key ideas uh, we, we take a lot of time to delve into them and that's what i'm going to do here uh right. the first one you said uh, was that uh, if we are procrastinating we're not necessarily bad people we're not people who are not ambitious we're not people who are not right. trying to do great things right. we just you know that's the reality of where what we have brought ourselves to so unpack this idea for us tell us um because as ambitious people, it's really easy for myself to beat myself up if I'm procrastinating and to say, what the hell am I doing? Well, how come I wasted the last 30 minutes or how come I didn't do what was important? Right. What happens here? Well, let me first say that you are not alone. Procrastinators tend, tend to have a very, very harsh internal critic. They live with standards that are very high and they're constantly evaluating, you know, am I going to make this standard? Am I going to reach the top? Am I not? You know, they make an equation, consciously or not, in their own minds that their value as a person is equal to their ability to perform. Mm -hmm. And one of the things this means is that Every performance becomes a test, a reflection of your ability. And that's a pretty scary thing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't leave much room for failure. It doesn't leave much room for coming in second. So if you want to be a good person, and if you want to feel that you are worthy of being loved, then it means every single performance has to be number one or A+. And what we're getting into here is what we refer to as the fear of failure. Right. And it's not about the outcome being a failure necessarily. It's about my vision of myself Mm -hmm. somehow not being held up. You know, I want to see myself as the best, mm -hmm. as perfect, mm -hmm. as the top of the heap, hitting the home run, the grand slam home run in the bottom of the ninth inning, the walk-off home run. And it's very scary to think that I might not always perform at that level. So the question becomes then, how does procrastination work? to uh, help protect you in this kind of situation. The way procrastination works is that by waiting till the last minute, by doing things when you no longer have time to do a perfect job, you can attribute your performance to doing this work at the last minute rather than finding that it's a reflection of your best ability mm -hmm. in your best Effort. So procrastination protects people from putting their true ability to the test. Yeah. You never find out how well you could have done if you had started early enough and given yourself a full amount of time. You only see how well you did at the last minute and the frenzy of pulling the all-nighter. Um, you only see how well you did at pulling victory out of the jaws of defeat, but you never really see how well you could do if you gave the job your full effort. Mm -hmm. And that protects the sense that, you know, I'm really still pretty good. You know, if the, the performance is disappointing, I can say, well, if I'd started sooner, I would have done a better job. If the performance actually was pretty good, you can say, wow, I must be something special because if I'd given myself more time, I could really have knocked their socks off. So what we like to say is that procrastination for many people preserves the illusion of brilliance mm -hmm. without ever putting that illusion to the test. Yeah, this is so powerful. And I, it's almost like the first and the second idea are mel melding in, into each other, which makes a lot of sense. The fact that I think there's an equation in the book that I really, as an, I'm an engineer, I'm a physicist, so uh -huh. my brain so you works like in equations. I, yeah, I like equations uh -huh. and tables and graphs and all sorts of things like that. And one of the things you, you know, the equation said self esteem equal to ability, which equals to performance. And, you know, so if uh, we measure our self-esteem by how able we are, then our ability is measured by how we perform. And if we don't perform very well, that means we're not capable enough. And that means we must have low self-esteem. So pr with procrastination, we allow ourselves to believe that, hey, I didn't even give it a good enough shot. So my performance doesn't even count. So I'm not going to measure because my ability. Procrastination breaks the equation 
between performance and ability. Mm -hmm. It means your, per your performance is not a true reflection of your ability. You know, your performance is a reflection of how well you do, you know, when you're walking the knife's edge, you know, and just, you know, trying to beat the clock. It's not a reflection of you anymore. Yeah, it's so a... That's a really important equation. And what we would suggest is that it's actually more important to break the equation between self-worth and ability. Mm -hmm. In other words, maybe you don't have to be the smartest person in the room to be worthy of being loved. Maybe sometimes you're pretty smart and sometimes you have successful performances, but there's a lot more to you as a person than just, you know, how smart you are. You know, whether you're an A student or whether you're an entrepreneur who got, you know, round two funding, you know, of $25 million, you know, right. um, those measures don't really show who you are as a person. It is fascinating how the fact that if we stop measuring ourselves like that, if we you know, if we don't associate our self-worth and our self-esteem with these external performances or external outcomes, then actually we can work harder, better, stronger, faster, and do better things in some ways just because we have detached ourselves from the results. In, in well, you're free. Yeah. You know, you're free instead of always, you know, being tight, um, worried and right. tight about what the outcome is going to be. You know, one of the things that we also really discovered, and I guess we kind of knew this ourselves too, is that if you scratch the surface of a procrastinator, what you often find underneath is a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many procrastinators will say, me, a perfectionist? How can I be a perfectionist? I'm doing things at the last minute. Mm -hmm. I do things in a half-baked way. I never do a job perfectly. How can I be a perfectionist? But what's important to understand is that perfectionism is not about the outcome. Perfectionism is an attitude. It's an attitude. A set of expectations, usually very rigid standards that are so high yeah. and there's no give. It's really all or nothing. So we hear things from procrastinators all the time like it's gold or it's garbage. Or mm. uh, if I am not perfect, then I'm nothing. Or here's one that a lot of people will say, if it's not done perfectly, it's not worth doing at all. And it's like anything that is short of perfection has no value. And that mm -hmm. makes it really hard to take those first steps to experiment, to risk. Mm. In the world of an entrepreneur, people are taking risks all the time. Most startups fail. Thank goodness yeah. in Silicon Valley. And I hope in San Diego, too, there is more and more of a culture that values failure. That says, you know, failure mm -hmm. is really a good thing. Yeah, procrastinators often have a hard time believing that it's really okay to fail because of that self-worth equation. You know, if I fail, it means I fail in, in my business or in my job. It means that I fail as a person. It means that, you know, I'm not worthy of being loved, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. that's really yeah, scary. Yeah, it's tough. We've all been there. I've been there. And I remember the days when I think uh, one of the ways I would measure myself was how quickly I could solve my uh -huh. physics problems uh -huh. back in high school. And if I couldn't solve them quickly enough, I wasn't good enough. So I wouldn't even like if the comp pro problem was too complex, I would give up even before, uh, you know, very quickly because it was something that I thought I was really smart. So I should have it figured out in three minutes. And if I haven't figured it out in three minutes, let's move on to the next thing. And I wouldn't try hard enough. I wouldn't allow myself to fail. I wouldn't uh, give myself the permission to be terrible at this thing right. while I was growing. And, you know, Manny, that I'm so glad you said that because so many people have that experience that if they struggle with something, you know, if they don't get the answer in three minutes or maybe one minute, that it means somehow that they are mm. stupid. And that's, again, mm -hmm. a very perfectionistic idea that's all or nothing. And we know now that the capacity to work on a problem and not see the struggle as being a reflection of smartness or stupidity, but just to make that hard effort and to value that effort and to know that you can get better mm -hmm with effort, that that's where growth comes from. And that's where, you know, the, the fun of being able to take risks and trying new things comes from. 
Yeah, and uh, I don't know if uh, Carol Dweck is your colleague up in Stanford. Yes, absolutely. We have a section about mindsets and and uh, the revision that we did of our our book. You know, our our first book was came out in 1983, which is a long time ago. Oh, wow. But procrastination is wow. still it, it's actually more rampant. <laughs> than it was then. That's what the statistics are showing. And in the interim, Carol Dweck um, did her work on mindsets. And absolutely, we're all for a growth mindset. And the fixed mindset is very much part of that fear of failure mentality. There's another way that self-worth can be associated, not just with failure or even with success. But you were asking um, earlier about the issue of control. And this is Mm -hmm. a big deal for a lot of people, you know, where all of us, I think, want to be separate people in our own right. You know, we have relationships with Mm -hmm. other people, but we want to feel like we're powerful and autonomous, that we have freedom to make our choices and to act. But some of us, have not really negotiated those issues comfortably. And so we have a special sensitivity Mm -hmm. to situations where we might feel that our power is compromised. Um, So if Mm -hmm. you have a sense that you got to be careful around authority, you know, that they might make Mm -hmm. you do things that you don't want to do, or even the clock, you know, a lot of people have the sense of, time moving inexorably. And I don't like that. I want time to go on my terms. You know, procrastination Mm -hmm. can be a way to sort of fight back and to say, you can't make me do it your way. I'm going to do it my way and at my own time. So even though the clock Mm -hmm. says it's 10 minutes to go, you can say, I can do it with five minutes to go, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to be, you know, kind of a puppet of somebody else's power, even if it's time. Absolutely. You've been, I've there? been there. You know that I've feeling? Been there. <laughs> I've been there. I've been through all of this that we were talking about. And it's not like it's done. It's there. It's it's still part of me and I'm working through it. But one thing I realized uh, in my career as an engineer, that I never liked taking orders. And that's probably why I left uh-huh. that career because uh, you know I wanted to do my own thing. As an entrepreneur, I feel so much more having that autonomy, that exercising that autonomy and not being bossed around by someone saying, hey, let's do it at that time. Let's do it this way, this way, this way. And I I hated being told what to do, when to do. It was just like, even though I was working in a Fortune 500 company, that just was not so who I was. So you found a way to um, opt for a world of work in which you could call the shots. Yes, yeah, and not have to have this feeling that you're un- under somebody else's thumb and you're having yeah. to follow all of these rules set by somebody else. You yeah. know, that's one of the great gifts of entrepreneurship, I think. Yeah. You know, that sense of autonomy, that sense of, I don't know if it's a limitless kind of horizon, but but there is a feeling of freedom. I think the trouble enters in when, again, we become sort of overly sensitized, and we end up doing things to protect a sense of freedom and autonomy that get us into trouble. So Mm -hmm. sometimes it becomes so important to defy authority or to thwart the other person that we end up thwarting ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. And and sometimes we want to defy the structure. We want to, you know, we don't want to have structure. We don't have, want to have limitations. But the truth is, there can be no freedom without structure. So in some right. ways, it's like one of those uh, paradoxes in life that we have to learn at some point or another. But, you know, we cannot fight control all the way. There is some control that we want to have. There's some control we want to impose on ourselves. But in some ways, we can get away from the shackles. But create our own shackles. (laughs) Well, and again, you know, that's where that self-esteem equation comes into play. Because if you feel sort of insecure about your own autonomy, it's going to be very hard for you to cooperate with somebody else. It may feel to you like if you cooperate, what it means is that you're capitulating, you Mm -hmm. know, so that following a rule may feel that you're totally disempowered. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to be true any more than taking a risk and having things turn out badly, you know, failing doesn't mean that you're not 
worthy or not smart or not able to achieve success. Following a rule does not mean that you're powerless, but it can feel that way. Mm -hmm. And procrastination can serve as a way to kind of fight a secret battle, you know, to say yes on the surface, Mm -hmm. you know, when you kind of have to say yes to the man, you know, but in behavior, you're actually saying no. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll turn in that report on Monday, but in fact, mm-hmm. you turn it in on Thursday or maybe mm-hmm. next week. So, yeah. you, you know, again, you're demonstrating all the time, I'm going to do this in my own terms. And, you know, one one place where a lot of people run into this is around taxes. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, okay, the government says you got to pay some money every year. And mm-hmm. if you're kind of feeling like, they can't make me do it. Uh, you know, that could be one reason. There could be others, but that could be yeah. one reason why it's hard to sit down and do your taxes because it makes you feel weak or powerless. And the overwhelm of all the forms and everything well, else yes. that comes with it. Yes. Yeah. Um, sure. Let's talk about. Let's talk about. I think we we you know we talked about the whole idea of how it's it's not an. In, in, indictments on you procrastination right. in some ways and that or you know in some ways procrastination is a result of all these fears we have fear of failure and fear of losing the battle uh, the third key idea you said was how it's you know in some ways it's part of the brain chemistry it's part of the brain size and we all have wiring. these challenges yes. yeah so t- tell us about that well you know f- for some people Procrastination, you know, I said earlier, there are many different pathways to get to procrastination. Procrastination can be sort of like a final common pathway in a sense. So some people come out of the emotional fear and internal conflict. Other people come from the way their brains are wired. You know, if you have ADD, it's really hard to focus your attention. It's really hard to inhibit yourself, you know, so your attention gets shifted and it's hard to pull your attention back. Um, If you have trouble with executive function, it's the same thing. You know, your brain works in ways that um, don't lend themselves to things like planning and Mm -hmm. organization or having good working memory. Um, these are all functions of what we call the prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. And um, if the linkages aren't so great, then you're always going to be going, uh, where did I put my pen? And where did I put those notes? And oh, gosh, uh, you know, I'm so disorganized, you know, and it's really hard to work against that when your brain is not settled down and where you're not getting the direction from the center of your brain, the front center of your brain, help things run smoothly. So Mm. I think it's really important to understand that you have a brain that works this way if you do, because so often people with ADD or executive function problems see themselves again as really lazy, or they see themselves as uncooperative a lot of times, behavioral uh, oppositional disorders, or they see themselves as just not able to do what other people can do really easily. And so they feel really bad about themselves. They feel lesser and like there's something wrong with them. And, you know, a lot of what Jane and I think is that it comes down to facing reality. You know, Mm -hmm. procrastinators like to live in their vision of how they think they ought to be or how they think the world ought to be. And it's very hard to look at what is either you know, the task that you have to do or who you are and what your particular strengths and maybe weaknesses are. So if your brain works in such a way that organizational tasks are really hard or attention is really hard, it's important to know that, to face it square on and go, well, this is who I am. Then you can figure out some workarounds. 
You mm-hmm. can, for example, if your working memory is not so good, that's an executive function. You know, remember when you took all those standardized tests and you had to do reading comprehension and you mm-hmm. read a page and then you turn the page and then they have all these questions and they say in paragraph one, you know, mm-hmm. what did the author mean by blah, 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 blah. If you don't have very good working memory, you go... Paragraph one? What do they say in paragraph one? And you have to go back and look at paragraph one, and then you have to go back and look at paragraph two, and you can't rem- you can't hold in your mind information that's really important for going forward with tasks that matter to you. Mm. So if your working memory isn't good, you can say forever, "Oh, I'm gonna gotta remember that. I gotta remember that," and then you won't. And then you're going to feel lousy and you're going to go, what's wrong with me? Why didn't I remember this again? But if you know that your working memory isn't good, then you develop workarounds. You set alarms on your phone and notifications on your phone. You might take good old post-it notes and place them on your computer or put them on your bathroom mirror, someplace where you'll see them. You use external scaffolding to help you do the things that your brain doesn't do very well. Mm -hmm. And so once you've looked at yourself realistically, then you're free to find ways to help yourself and be your own ally rather Mm -hmm. than kind of constantly pushing yourself to do things that really, really are hard for your brain. We've been talking about the whole, like, how procrastination works and why it happens, why it works for us, why it works against us in some ways, and why it happens to us. Now, let's talk about the solutions. Let's talk about how to figure out ways around it. And that's usually, we talk about three key action items, and this is exactly what it is, action items that we want to talk about. So let's do that. Okay. Well, the first thing that we think is really important is that it's important to think small rather than to Mm. think big. Part of that fear of failure thing and the perfectionism thing is that procrastinators tend to have really big ideas, grand ideas, and they also tend to think in really vague ways. So um, they might say things like, well, I want to be ready for the next big trade show. But they don't actually know when the trade show is, you know, so the, the thinking is vague, the goal is big. And when you have a big, vague goal, it's hard to know where to start. And if you can feel overwhelmed very easily, and if you feel overwhelmed, then what are you going to do? You're going to go play video games, or you're going to go watch Game of Thrones or something. You know, it's Mm going to be hard to sit yourself down because you don't know where to begin. So setting a small goal is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Setting a concrete goal is really helpful. Mm. The problem is that when you do that, all this internal feeling is going to come up. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people fight back when I say, let's pick one goal. They say, I can't do just one goal. I have to do the whole everything. If I say pick a small goal, uh, I have one procrastinator say to me, that feels so puny. Mm -hmm. Or another uh, guy who was actually a professor at Stanford, he would say, Mm -hmm. baby steps for baby feet. (laughs) You know, so that the idea of taking a small step makes them feel small makes them feel puny. And who wants to feel that? You don't want to feel... Again, we have the performance being equated with who I am as a person. If I take Mm -hmm. a small step, it means I'm a small, weak, puny, baby step person. Mm -hmm. So we got to kind of get that out of the way and remind ourselves that actually the only way to make progress and to work on a goal is step by step. Mm -hmm. Um, That taking one step matters. Mm -hmm. It's not something to be devalued or dismissed. But if you're a perfectionist, Mm -hmm. you will dismiss it so that Mm -hmm. you take a step and then you kind of go, eh, that wasn't worth anything. So I was thinking about an example um, this is not an entrepreneurial example, so I don't know. No, let's, let's talk about yeah. it. Yeah. The example that I was thinking of was a woman who had had a membership at her gym for over two years and she'd never gone. And of mm. course, you know, she wanted to get into shape. So we asked her to set a goal for the next two weeks. And so what do you imagine she wanted to set as her goal? She want to go to the gym every day. Every day, of course. You know this. <laughs> Two hours every day. Right. 
okay. And nothing less would be enough, right? Uh And we said, okay, no. How realistic do you think it will be that you go every day? You haven't gone for two years. Not very, right? Zero Mm -hmm. chance that you'll go every day. So she went kicking and screaming you know, sort of cutting her goal down and pairing it to the smallest goal she could stand, which was three days a week for each Mm -hmm. of the two weeks. So that's six times. She said, that's absolutely the smallest goal that will be acceptable to me. (laughs) And I said, okay, all right, let's go do that. And let's see what happens. Two weeks later, she comes in. She goes, oh, I feel so ashamed. I feel... You know, like, I'm such a failure. And we said, what happened? She said, I only went twice Uh to the gym. Now, everybody else in the room looked at her, and they could see what she couldn't see. You know, she went twice in two weeks. She hadn't gone at all in two years. That was success. But she didn't feel it. And that's the kind of thing that will derail a procrastinator right from the get-go. You take a step. It's not the whole thing. You, it's not the ideal thing. It's not the perfect thing. And you're ready to say, I'm a failure. Forget it. I'm going to go back to Game of Thrones mm-hmm. instead of saying, okay, I took a step. I went twice. So now next week, let me go twice again and see if I can kind of get this getting to be a new habit. Yeah, so yeah. valuing progress is a really hard thing. And valuing small steps is a really important thing. So that would be, I think, the first action item that I would recommend. And really one of the best small steps you can take, because sometimes it's hard to think about, well, what's a first step for a goal? You know, how do I break it down and do something as a first step? It can be very helpful to think, let me think about what I can do in just 15 minutes. One of the things that happens when you start to take action is that feelings are going to come up, you mm-hmm. know, uncomfortable feelings like, oh, no, uh, you know, maybe this won't be good enough and maybe it'll be a failure. And, you know, the whole storyline that goes on in your head or you might feel, oh, I'm taking this action and I feel like I'm giving up control all of a sudden. In fact, one woman set a 15 minute goal for herself during a weekend. Now, she didn't have anything planned for the whole weekend. So she was Mm -hmm. talking about spending 15 minutes on her goal out of 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And it said, well, so how does this feel to you? And she said, it feels like I'm in prison. And it feels (laughs) like the jailer has walked away with the key. She felt so totally disempowered. And you can see that, again, on the surface, it's not a rational thing, right? 15 minutes out of 48 hours is nothing. You're not in prison. But to her... It felt that way. And, you know, for her, it actually was an issue of control. It was, Mm -hmm. if I do this, then it means that I have given up control. And that was really um, intolerable for her. So the way to look at it is, uh, I mean, the first action item you said was just setting the right kind of goal, which is, you know, small, specific, very precise, when, where, concrete, uh, because anything that's, you know, we fear what is hazy, what is not clear to us, what's right. not, you know, we fear the unknown more than we fear the known. So I think right. what you're trying to do is make it a very known specific goal. Think of very it small. as, you know, if you had, um, you were making a video of yourself, you know, what mm-hmm. would you see on the video of you doing your goal? Right. That's very one behavioral. way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, very One specific, way to get very out of you know the machinations of your mind mm-hmm. and looking at what are you actually going to be doing. Yeah, and the second thing you just talked about, which was like figure out what you can do in fifteen minutes. Basically, make what you call. I think uh, uh, I read this idea in Brian Tracy's book, but I think uh, there's someone, some other author who wrote this idea. They called the Swiss cheese method. Alan Lakin. In the early 1970s, who wrote How to Get Control of Your Time and Your Life. And he talked about the Swiss cheese method of time management, which is poking holes in a large task by doing small bits of time, using small bits of time. And again, if you're a perfectionist, 15 minutes feels like, eh, what can you do? I can't do anything in 15 minutes. It feels like a waste. But Mm -hmm. that's your perfectionism devaluing the worth of 15 minutes. In Mm -hmm. fact, 
If you sit yourself down for 15 minutes and give yourself to whatever the task is, you'd be surprised how much you can get done. And the other part of this is that, you know, when I was talking about uncomfortable feelings coming up when you take action, um, a lot of times people don't want to take action because they don't want to experience those feelings. Mm -hmm. And if you set as a goal, I'm going to do this for just 15 minutes, maybe part of what would be helpful is to remind yourself, I can stand anything for 15 minutes. I can Mm -hmm. be anxious for 15 minutes. I can feel bored for 15 minutes. I could even feel overwhelmed for 15 minutes. And if 15 minutes is too much, you know, let's be real. Cut it down to 10. Cut it down to five. But often, when you can identify that small step for yourself, it's much easier to get started. And for Mm -hmm. a lot of people, that's the hardest step of all is getting started. So whatever it takes uh, to help you take that first step, do it. Uh, Yeah, I think that's the key in both these action items, just getting started, figuring out a way to make it smaller, make it more precise, make it very actionable, make it very measurable so we could take action on it. And I think the third solution is something that initially, I guess you were a little skeptical of explaining on the phone because it's hard to do that. It's hard to describe. Um, You want me to talk about the unschedule. The unschedule. And I'm... uh, I, I feel like I'm forcing you to do that, but I, the reason I want to is because I think it's a, it's a really great strategy to help visualize things in a different right. kind of way. Well, the ba- the, um, I think the most important of the uh, idea of the unschedule is that you take a look at your time and you try to figure out what time, say, in the coming week is committed you know, and commitments can take all shapes and forms. It could be a meeting with your boss. It could be a meeting with a potential investor that's on the books. It could be making dinner and eating dinner or meeting a friend or watching Game of Thrones again, sleep time, brushing your teeth, commute time. Here in Silicon Valley, the commute time has just gotten longer and longer. So all those chunks of time that are spoken for are not available for you to work on your goal. And so Mm -hmm. the first thing you do is take a realistic look at what time do you have available for the coming week. Then, rather than saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to spend, you know, three hours working on this or two hours on Tuesday working on that, which is a prospective way to think about using your time. The trouble with it being that people have said to themselves over and over and over again, on Monday at 10 a.m., I'm going to get started. And then they don't, and then they feel lousy. So rather than setting yourself up to feel bad, instead what you do with the unschedule, once you have the time calendar in front of you and you have the committed times blocked out, Mm-hmm. you track what you do, the time you spend toward your goal as you do it. So you might, if you spend a half an hour working on a presentation for the trade fair, put that down, mark it down. You spent a half an hour. Or if you spend an hour talking to an investor or making some cold calls, you know, to see if you can round up some funding, put that down. That counts. And then at the end of the week, you can look back and see what did you actually do. Again, we're looking at facing reality because Mm -hmm. so often procrastinators, you know, they're kind of clueless. I don't know where the week went. Here I am. It's Monday. And what happened last week? And what did I do over the weekend? I don't know. And often they feel like they didn't do anything. And if they use the unschedule and they track what they actually did, they might be surprised to see, you know what, I actually spent four hours working on this. I had no idea that I spent four hours working on this. Yeah. Hey, uh, the constraints, like the whole idea of constraints and putting those constraints in the place in the sense, saying that this is what's already on my calendar cannot right. be moved, really, you know, allows us to look at our time from a different perspective because, you know, otherwise as a procrastinator, as a professional procrastinator, <laughs> which is me, I could tell you the way I see it is there is 168 hours in the week. Uh, if I were to sleep 
for eight hours every night, that would leave me 112 hours to work. That's how I see uh-huh. it. Uh, so I think I have 112 hours to work and I better work for at least the 80 or 90 hours so I feel like I got something done. Right. But it doesn't work. In fact, that loose idea that I should work for 80 hours and somehow find that time doesn't work. But if I schedule everything in and then force myself to get stuff done within the time allotted right. and you know, having those constraints really frees you. That's, like the structure that's wonderful, you- Manny. I'm so glad that you found that because you know, so often procrastinators play games with time. You know, they have a wishful relationship with time rather than a realistic relationship mm-hmm. with time. Exactly. And so what exactly. part of what you're talking about, there are many things that are contained in this. But one aspect is that when you put everything down on the unschedule, you can begin to see your time in a more realistic way. You know, I I find myself thinking about an example from one of the very first procrastination groups that Jane and I did um, at UC Berkeley. We had had a a group that started at nine in the morning. I don't know what we were thinking, (laughs) starting a procrastination group at nine in the morning. (laughs) Later on, we did them in the afternoon. But you should have started six in the morning. (laughs) Anyway, this group started at 9 a.m. and we had this great kid. He was such a bright, enthusiastic, wonderful person. And he would always come stumbling in at 9.15. We said, what's the story? And he said, well, and so he walked us through how he thought about it. He said, well, it takes me 10 minutes to walk across campus to get here to the counseling center. And the group starts at nine o'clock. So I set my alarm for 10 to nine. (laughs) And he meant it. And he totally didn't think about having to get out of bed, if he was going to take a shower, time to take a shower, getting something to eat, brushing his teeth, going to the bathroom, you know, getting dressed. He just didn't put that into his equation at all. And so that's an example of how you know, not thinking about some of the concrete details of how your time is spent ends up getting you into trouble. Um, yeah. And and then this guy was late all the time. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, after we talked about that, it was really interesting. He set his time timer earlier, and he started being on time. He, wow. you know, so he actually it wasn't a big deal. He just never thought about it. Yep. 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 This is great, Lenora. And I, I, for our listeners, if you feel a little confused or overwhelmed with this calendar, don't worry. I'll have a copy of the calendar. I'll have a, uh, I'll draw out the calendar for you, and it'll be in the show. There'll be a link on the show notes, so you can actually go and fill it out and uh, have fun with the unscheduled calendar. Right. Um, it's so, also Lenora, it is available, you, as you mentioned, in in our book. We do have both a sample of how to fill in the unschedule and then a clean copy so that yep. people can make a copy for themselves if they want it. Yeah, so that's great. Uh, it's, it's, of course, it's in the book. That's why I know of it. Um, great. Uh, so we talked about the three key ideas. We talked about three specific strategies to attack procrastination. Um, let's close this interview, Lenora. But before we do that, tell us how to find you, get hold of you, where to find you. Um, and where to find the book and all that good stuff. Well, let's see. I hope the book is in local bookstores, but there are fewer local local bookstores these days. So, you know, Amazon, you can get it on Amazon. I am in Palo Alto. Jane and I do have a website for the book, which is Procrastination, Why You Do It, What to Do About It Now. It has a lot of the basic ideas, and it does have further contact information, um, email address and, and that kind of thing. And um, I'm happy to respond to inquiries. Although, you know, I can't give a lot of lengthy advice to people, you know, without meeting, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't know who you are. And yeah. as I said, every procrastinator is different. I think that's one thing that I really want to say. You cannot make any assumptions about what's going on for an individual person from looking at the procrastination. All of us have our own story and our own set of factors that lead us into the fray of procrastination. It's important to know your own story. Got it. Well, 
This has been great, uh, Lenora. Thank you very much for taking the time to educate our listeners, educate our audience, and most importantly, educate me today because uh, I'm a fighter. I'm always fighting against this procrastination thing. Good for you. And you said something really important that, you know, it doesn't just get over. You know, mm-hmm. it's something that's an ongoing part of life. I still have moments if there's something comes up that I'm feeling a little shaky about, a little nervous about, I will find myself procrastinating again. But what's different now? Because it didn't used to be this way. It used to be that I would just procrastinate and not have any idea why I was doing it. And then I just feel awful and get myself mm-hmm. into all kinds of messes. Now I know what the internal territory is. So if I'm procrastinating, I can say, oh, you know, I'm really worried that I'm going to make a fool of myself, or I'm really worried that people aren't going to like what I have to say, or that I'm going to say it in a kind of a bumbling way, or I'm not going to express myself well, or, you know, whatever it is. And then I can calm myself, and I can kind of be a friend to myself as opposed to a critic and a judge uh, and I think that's a, that's what I meant earlier at the beginning when I said, you know, I think what really makes a difference in managing procrastination is changing the relationship with yourself so that yeah. instead of being this horrible, harsh, you know, intolerant critic, you find some compassion, you know, and can allow yourself to be a regular human being. You know, yeah. with flaws and imperfections. Challenges and everything else. All that yeah. stuff. And and a lot of strengths, you know. Yeah. And yeah. you can just let yourself live your best life. Well, this is great. Thank you, Lenora. Uh, my pleasure, Manny. So a lot of you have asked me how I consume seven books a week. Well, I do read a lot, but I also listen to audiobooks when I'm driving, when I'm working out, when I'm running errands, when I'm out running. It's such a great use of my time. And not only that, I listen to the books at three times the normal speed. Yeah, it's 3x. So I consume a six-hour-long book in two hours flat. I just love Audible for that. And I've been using it for years now. And right now, you can... Give Audible a try by signing up for a free trial membership and get any audiobook in their library for free. And if you don't like it, just cancel the trial membership and you won't be charged anything. However, you still get to keep the audiobook forever for free. So to avail this offer, just head on over to 2000books.com slash free. That's 2000books.com slash F-R-E-E free. Well, last month was really exciting because I got to talk to a lot of you one-on-one. I got to understand your challenges and your frustrations in your entrepreneurial journey. And a lot of you got back to me after the call saying that you applied the advice you got from me and it helped you out tremendously. And that to me is one of the most rewarding things for me, knowing that I was able to help you move forward. So even though my initial plan was to just do this for one month, given the fun I had and given your overwhelming response and requests, I have opened up my Thursdays for this month as well. So I'll do this again. I will talk to you, listen to you, answer any and all business questions you may have and take in any suggestions you have for us, for the podcast, for the YouTube channel, for our products. So if you would like to talk to me, just schedule a free 30-minute chat with me at 2000books.com slash discuss or text the word discuss to 44222 and we will get talking, you and I. Now, I'm really excited about this because it will really give me the opportunity to get to know you, understand you, and serve you better. By the way, I want to be doubly clear that this is not a sales call. I will not pitch anything to you, and I hope you won't sell anything to me either, okay? So let's just talk like friends. Deal? All right. So I'm only doing this for Thursdays, and there are only four Thursdays this month. So get a time slot before they're all gone. Just head on over to 2000books.com slash discus or text the word discus to 44222 and schedule a time that is convenient for you. And now I'm really looking forward to talking with you. So let's do this. Well, until next time, my ambitious friends, go out and live a courageous life.